In keeping with what we've been singing this morning, I'd like you to open your Bible to the book of Luke, and we're going to read from Luke chapter 1, verses 33. This is a passage related to the Christmas story, of course. And then from Luke, just with full uh, honesty, we're going to go from Luke to a passage of all things in the book of Romans, and we're going to set them side by side, and hopefully you will see what we're talking about this morning. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and uh, you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give unto him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now those verses announce what God was about to do, not just in Mary's life, but also in the midst of our sinful world. He was about to send his son. Now we take that for granted. We, we largely take the Christmas story for granted. But in fact, this announcement that Gabriel was making to Mary was the greatest thing that was, it was about to happen. It was the greatest thing since the creation of the world. And I'll try to explain to you why. You remember that God placed Adam and Eve. He created Adam and Eve. He placed them in a garden, gave them everything they needed. And what happened? Well, they failed. And it was a failure that would trigger a series of catastrophes in their lives and in their world. It would trigger a domino effect. In fact, to this day, the Bible tells us that the catastrophes that we see happening in our world have a direct connection to their sin. Paul said in the book of Romans, sin came into the world and death through sin. So God came into the garden where they hid themselves in the aftermath of their sin. And God gave them the same announcement that the angel Gabriel gave to Mary. It was different words, but it's the same story. It's the same plan. The plan, that plan, God announced in the garden. He told them that, that uh, he would send his son, the seed of a woman, who would crush the head of the serpent, the devil. Now, when the angel told Mary that, that God had chosen her to be the vessel through which he would send his son, it was an announcement that God was acting on his promise that he made long ago to Adam and Eve. It was coming to reality. It was coming to fruition. Uh, an announcement that God had made right at the very beginning when Adam and Eve's sin was coming to fruition through the life of Mary. Now I want to call your attention to the book of Romans. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8, 
verses 31 and 32. This is the Christmas story in Romans chapter 8. Also, it's another one of those John 3.16 passages that we've run into in the book of Romans. This is going to be very important to you this morning. I hope you'll follow along with me. Paul says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up freely for us all, or graciously for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So the title of my message today is this, If God is for us. And we're going to look at these two simple verses and discover five clear truths revealed by God sending his son. And these truths help Paul demonstrate this great hope that is ours if God is for us. But the question is, is he for us? And if he is, how does God sending his son prove this to be true? Now, all of these points are going to be one word, and they're going to begin with the word E, and one of them I'll explain to you because one of the words you might not understand, I'll explain it to you when we get there. But the first word that we want to see is evidence. God sending his son stands as the evidence that God is for us. Did you know that the greatest lie that was ever told on this planet was not told in Washington, D.C. It was told in the garden. It was told in the garden, and it was told to Eve. The devil said to Eve, God is not for you. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. God has something up his sleeve that he's not told you. Did you know that every lie originates with the one that the Bible says is the father of lies, that is the devil, he told the big lie in the garden. Not only so, I'm sure that at some point in your life, in some set of circumstances in which you have found yourself, that the devil has told that same lie to you. You have this problem in your life. So God must not be for you. He causes you to look at your circumstances, maybe to look at your future, the, the, the things that are going on in your life. And he says, God doesn't love you. Certainly God is not for you. God has an ulterior motive with you. This is just not true. So this evidence of God sending his son is to counter the great lie. Paul's already told us this in Romans chapter 5, 8, when he said, God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul considers there to be no greater evidence that God is for us than the fact that he did not spare his own son. That's the evidence 
the evidence. Do you remember the story of Abraham when he was asked by God to take his son to a faraway mountain and sacrifice him on an altar? Several Sunday nights ago, we looked at that story, and we looked at how the Bible actually slows down the telling of the story in that uh, in, the, in the scene where Abraham gets to the spot, he, he takes the wood. First, he builds the altar. He stacks the stones almost as if he's trying to delay the moment. He stacks the stones, and then he puts the wood on the altar. And then he takes his son, and he, his son Isaac, and he binds his son, and then he lays Isaac on top of the altar. And then comes that moment when the Bible says that he reaches to take the knife to slay his son. And what happened in that moment? In that moment, the Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord spoke to him, from heaven, The angel of the Lord said, Abraham, don't harm the child, for now I know that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Did you know that in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that this exact word, withheld, is the one that Paul uses, that's translated in Romans, this passage in Romans, spared. You have not spared your own son from me. A couple of us were talking after the message the other Sunday night and we noted that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is never just an angel. The angel of the Lord is always some direct manifestation of God. First someone says it's the angel of the Lord and then right later they realize they've been in the very presence of God. Not only so, most scholars when they study the Bible believe that the angel of the Lord is some kind of pre-incarnate appearance, some pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ himself in the Old Testament. So that in one way we could say it was Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ saying to Abraham, this is not your job to take your son. We're going to spare your son. But God sent the angel of the Lord to do that. And God did not spare his own son. He did not spare his own son. And Paul says, this is evidence that God is far. So we've looked at the evidence. Number two, we need to consider the extravagance. The extravagance. Uh, and so to what extent was God willing to go to show us that he was for us? Well, God didn't just send his son into the world. We know that he sent him to die. This is what God did. This was what God planned to do when he made the announcement to Adam and Eve in the garden. This is what God planned to do when he sent the angel Gabriel to make the announcement to Mary. This was God's plan all along. Last Sunday, we looked at the passage of Scripture that said, oh, Jesus Christ, he was foreknown from before the foundation of the world. This, this, is, this is what God is doing here. And so he said, the Bible, Paul says he delivered him up. To deliver up means to give over into the power of another. So consider this. This is God doing this. This is not Jesus volunteering and saying, I will be the one. God sent him and God delivered up his own son. He delivered him up to the Jewish authorities. He delivered him up to the Roman soldiers. He delivered him up to the insults of men. He delivered him up to the soldier's whip. He delivered him up to the crown of thorns. He delivered him up to the cross. He delivered him up to die. He delivered him up for us all. 
This is John 3.16 all over again. For God so loved the world that he gave. What extravagance. In light of that, how could anyone question that God is for us? Next, we've seen the evidence, the extravagance. Number three, the eventuality. What is the practical experience of those who God is for and what can they expect in the future? In other words, looking at this passage of Scripture, if God did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, if he did that for us, promising it to Adam and Eve there in the garden, choosing Mary as the vessel by which he would bring him into the world, using the, the cross as the method of delivering him over, if God would do all of that for us in the past, what will he do for us in the present and in the future? Well, the Bible says here, he will with him, he will graciously give us all things. Now, some translations, and you heard me say it earlier, I, I used the, one of the other translations that I've read, I used the word freely, and some translations use the word freely. You say, well, why do some use graciously and some use freely? Well, the word is built on the Greek word grace, and so it might just be better. It means both. It might just be better to say graciously and freely. So uh, we might read it that way. So in other words, if God is for us, if he loves us so much that he didn't spare his own son, what else can we anticipate? Well, if you'll notice in this passage of Scripture, I'm going to show you something that you probably never noticed, never paid any attention to, honestly, before this week. I never paid any attention to it either. But in this verse, notice what he says. He said, he will graciously give us all things. You see that little phrase, all things? Do you remember when we ran into it in Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose? Do you know how many times the Bible, the New Testament, uses this little phrase, all things? No, I didn't either. I honestly didn't either. But I looked it up. I checked it out. I'm going to give you just a few of them. And I hope that you say, wow, when you hear it, not because I see them, but because God put them there. Listen, Jesus told his disciples, all things are possible with God. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was praying to the garden, praying to the Father, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. The disciples said to Jesus in John 16, 30, listen to what they said, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. That's why we believe you came from God. And of course, Paul wrote in Romans 8:28, we know that God, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. He wrote again, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times you may abound in every good work. To the Ephesians, Paul said, And he, God, put all things under his feet, that's the feet of Jesus, and gave him, that is Jesus, the head over all things 
to the church. And in Ephesians, he said, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will. Peter wrote, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And John wrote in the book of Revelation that one day there's going to be a grand announcement from the throne. Behold, I make all things new. And of course, all things includes all your needs, both now and in the future. So that Paul said in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We just looked at the eventuality. What's God going to take care of if he did that in the past? What can we expect? What can we expect in the future and in the present? Anything? Everything? All things? He's going to take care of it. So, we come to the next word. This is a big word. Let me find somebody who can't understand it, and I'll explain it to you, okay? I'm going to explain it to Doug. Doug, you look like this is too big of a word for you. The extrapolation. The extrapolation. That's a big word. Let's just simply say this. It means this. What should we conclude in light of the evidence and in light of the extravagance? In other words, if this is true, then what else is true? Well, we'll decide. What's the conclusion? Well, here's what Paul concludes. He says, if God be for us, who can be against us? And then he builds on that. Look at verse 33. He said, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Now look at verse 37. No, in all these things, that's everything, whatever it is, the sufferings of this present time, the trials, the temptations, the things we go through in life, the political upheavals in the world, the wars, the rumors of wars, things present, things to come. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think of that. Not sickness nor sorrow nor suffering, no power in heaven, no demon from hell, no experience in life and no other experience including death can tear us from the, from the grasp of a God who loves us so much. But perhaps what we fail to see, and this is the last point, this is number five, is the exact timing. The exact timing. And Paul gives us the exact timing. When is God for us? Was God for us when he made the promise to Adam and Eve in the garden? Was he for us when he sent the angel Gabriel to make the announcement to Mary? Was he for us on that holy night when Jesus was born? 
Was he for us when Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, not my will but thine be done? Was he for us when he did not spare his own son but delivered him up freely for us all? Yes, he was for us. The evidence and the extravagance show us how much he loved us, but perhaps your question is not whether he was for us in the past, but is he for you now? Right now, in your particular circumstances, in the midst of your situation, is he for you knowing you as he does? You know, this is the big lie of the devil. Now the, 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 the devil will come. I'm sure he said this to you. You think God, you think God is for you? He knows you, boy. He knows how you think. He knows where you've been. He knows what you've done. You think God can be for somebody like you? Look at the mess you're in. Look at the circumstances you're in. Look at the diagnosis that you've got. Look at all the problems. You think God is for you? Well, I remind you that, that what we see in the Scripture and what we said last week is that God did all of this. God made all of these plans back there in the, before the garden. But he announced it in the garden. He announced it again to Mary. He did all of this knowing what you would be when he called you, knowing what the impact of sin would be on every individual. He knew in advance all your faults, all your failures, all my faults, all my failures, even the ones we don't know about yet, the ones we are yet to experience. And knowing it all, knowing the full extent of your personal sinfulness and mine, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Look at the exact timing now. What You haven't understood that yet. You haven't seen it. Paul didn't say God was for us. That's not what he said. He doesn't say that God will be for us. He says that God is for us. He said if God is for us. That word is is a pretty big word. In English, you don't have to know Greek or Latin or Hebrew, just English. If God is for us, man, that's right now. That's right now for me in my circumstances. That's right now for you in your circumstances. That is right now if I've fallen into sin. That's right now for me and my failure. That's right now for you and your failure. That is at this present moment and in every future moment in which I ever find myself, the God who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how much more will He graciously give us all things? All things He will cause to work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Don't believe the devil's lie that God is not for you, that he doesn't love you, that he doesn't have your best interest at heart. Look, if he raises questions about God to you, if the devil does, please point him to the cross. If the devil should show you your circumstances, just point him to the cross. If he should point out your problems, just point him to the cross. If he should question your security in the future, just point him to the cross and remind him of his. 
What shall we say then to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In all these things we are more than conquerors because of him who loved us. Let's pray.